Let me pray for us as we get started. Gracious Father, we are so grateful for a wonderful morning, uh, this morning of worship together as your, uh, as your family of believers, your, uh, your representatives of Christ and of the gospel here in Taylor Ranch. And uh, so, God, we thank you for the privilege of being able to do that. We ask, God, tonight that uh, as we open your word and learn from your word and discuss some principles about discipling and disciple-making, that, uh, God, you would uh, first and foremost uh, be at the center of our hearts and our minds' attention tonight, uh, that, that we would recognize that, that what we're talking about in, in terms of making disciples, uh, uh, leading people to Christ and helping them to grow in their relationship with Jesus, is a- at the core of what you have called us to do and what you have saved us to do, uh, to make disciples who know Christ, who are growing in him and who are taking the gospel uh, to others as well. Uh, so God, help us to, to just be uh, mindful of that and, and to keep coming uh, back around to that as sort of the, the anchor, uh, the anchor point of, uh, of this conversation uh, around discipling. God, we want to glorify you in all that we do tonight and pray that you would be glorified in us, even as you edify us by your word and in our fellowship together. Uh, we give this time to you and to your glory and your purposes. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so let's hit the ground running. Our first sort of section uh, of things that we'll be dealing with tonight as we talk about discipling will be defining terms. And it helps to define terms because sometimes we can be talking about the same, we, we can be talking about a subject all using the same words, but be talking about completely different things. Um, it, it's entirely possible for this to happen, for instance, um, if we use the example, just the example church. Right. Most dictionaries, just that word church, most dictionaries will have as their first definition, something about a building that is to be used for religious observances. That's what that's how dictionaries define what a church is. But we certainly know that this this can't be the definition that Jesus intended. When we look at places like Matthew eighteen seventeen, where he instructs uh, uh, believers to take a persistently unrepentant Christian who's walking in sin before the church to be corrected. Now, certainly Jesus can't mean a building when he says church. He means uh, the assembly of the believers there. And so Jesus intends there the, the assembled group of individuals who are professing faith in his name and are walking in repentance of their sins. Those are the ones that hold this unrepentant sinner count, uh, accountable. And so a church building can't hold someone can't hold a believer accountable to how they live. It has to be a group of people. So you see, we can use one word to mean several different things. And the same is true of the word disciple. Uh, if you could just uh, briefly uh, holler out or, or shout out a, a brief definition of what a disciple is. How would you define the word disciple? What was that? A teacher, uh, a teacher or a... Okay, a follower. One who is being taught. A student. Okay. Someone who follows somebody else. Excellent. Okay. Someone who follows someone in order to become like them. Okay. Somebody who follows someone else uh, and uh, as as an example for them. Okay. Or, or a teacher or a mentor. Yeah, Jared. Okay. Someone willing to change their lifestyle for for a for a better purpose. 
Uh, it's my intention with these are all uh, good definitions, and I want to uh, clarify and make very specific um, what I mean when, when I'm talking about being a disciple or discipling someone. And that's kind of what our first session is, is, is going to be about here. Um, because when I'm talking about discipling, like from the pulpit or in conversations in the hallways or in classrooms or whatever, this, these are the definitions that I'm working with. Okay, And, and I'd, I would love if we could all, we're all talking the same language when we're talking about discipling. Um, so, uh, so our first session, part one is, is just labeled, what is a disciple? Um, there is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, somebody has that verse. Um, I asked them to look it up. It's on the screen. So you don't have to, um, look it up in your Bible. If you want to just read it off the screen, read Matthew 28, 18 through 20 for us. Right. So thank you for reading that. This is the, the passage we refer to as the Great Commission. We've read it, it seems like a lot lately in our gathering as a church. And that's a good thing. This command given by Jesus to his remaining 11 disciples after his resurrection and prior to his ascension into heaven. This command to make disciples gives the directive and the orders for achieving that directive to his followers. So the question is, in, uh, in this verse, what is the command? And, and here I've, I've helped us a little bit. It's highlighted and underlined in red. The command here is make disciples. There's one imperative in these verses, and that is to make disciples. Everything else that's going on there, you see that in bold, the going, the baptizing, the teaching. All of those are the means by which that command to make disciples is accomplished. By, by It happens um, as we are going, as Christ has sent us. Uh, making disciples involves baptizing people in light of their profession of faith in Christ and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us. So then what does Jesus mean when he says makes, uh, make disciples? Well, the command is also a call. And Jesus gives a call to others to be his disciples um, in, his, uh, in his life and in his ministry. Does somebody have Matthew four eighteen through 22? Will you read that for us, Melinda? Thank you. So Matthew four eighteen through 22, we have this initial call of Jesus to his, to his first disciples, to uh, Peter and James and John and Andrew. I want to focus in on Matthew four nineteen. That verse is up here on the screen. It's in your notes as well. He, that is Jesus, said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's actually a lot about discipleship that's sort of bound up uh, in this short call to be a disciple. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, this implies, first of all, that a disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus. This call, follow me, that Jesus gives to his disciples requires knowledge of the one who is giving the call and a conscious choice to walk after him. Jesus commands them, follow me, but it is up to the disciples to make the decision to actually follow Jesus, which uh, they do. And that is that is a good thing. Now, certainly we cannot be disciples of Jesus until we know Jesus, until we know Christ. And knowing Christ involves trusting Christ. Likewise, we cannot be disciples of Jesus if we don't follow Christ. And following Christ is to deny self. And so I want to look at a a couple of verses that uh, relate to this issue. So uh, to know Christ uh, is to trust Christ. Did I hand out John 6, 67 through 69? Okay, excellent. So knowing uh, Christ is to trust him. Peter says, who else are we going to go to? You alone have the words of life. Peter, at that point in his discipleship of Jesus, knows that Jesus has everything that he needs. He, he is the, the focus of Peter's attention. John ten fourteen. does somebody have that? 
Yeah, a wonderful passage, John 10, and the, the, the Good Shepherd passage where Jesus talks about what he is as a good shepherd. I'm um, the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Uh, that passage goes on to where Jesus uh, continues to talk about how his sheep know his voice, and they come when he calls them, and those sorts of things. So to know Christ is to trust him, to have this, re- this, this experiential, uh, uh, experience-based relationship with Jesus, such that we know his voice when he speaks to us, when he calls us. So that is what it is to, to impart in, in a very, very nutshell sort of form to know Christ is, is to trust him. But to follow Christ is to deny yourself. To follow after somebody else is to give up your agenda to, to take their agenda as your own. Um, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Who has that? Can we read that for us? Excellent. Thank you. So to follow Christ, we know, because Jesus says himself, is to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. We know Christ's cross literally led to his death. It was the instrument of of his death. And he uses this really vivid um, example, this really vivid illustration of what it is to follow after him. Not that we uh, literally die for him, although... God will call some of us to, to do that, some believers to do that around the world and has throughout history. But, but it is to give up everything, all of our own um, uh, sort of priorities, all of our own desires, all of our own agendas to, to make Christ's agenda our agenda. So a disciple is someone who knows and who follows Christ, who trusts him and denies self. But also a disciple is someone who is changed by Christ. So knowing Christ um, following Christ being changed by him. Jesus says in that call in Matthew four nineteen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, the, the point of this is, is this, that, that Christ changes uh, everything uh, about who we are as his followers. He's setting the agenda for what we will become. He, he is the one who's going to do the work of transforming us as his disciples. And he's the one who sets the agenda for what we will be transformed into. Right. He says, I will make you. So Jesus doing the work upon his followers into fishers of men. And so there's the the goal uh, that is associated with that um, with that with that change that comes with following him. Now, Christ changes us in several different ways as believers, as Christians. Uh, Certainly, he changes us initially at conversion, giving us spiritual life. We know John chapter three. or Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus at night and he tells Nicodemus repeatedly, you must be born again. You must be born again. And Nicodemus just, he can't seem to understand what it is that Jesus is saying. And Jesus finally says, I'm not talking about physical birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Your spirit is dead. You, you need it to be enlivened. You need, you need God to bring your soul back to life again. You need to be changed. And so our change in Christ begins initially at conversion when we are born again, but we're also changed continually throughout our lives in this process that we who in the church call sanctification, being made holy, being made to to look like and to embody the character of Christ. Um, Did I give to somebody Ephesians 4, 22 through 24? Uh, Catherine, will you read that for us? So there are Paul and Ephesians uh, speaking to the importance of, of understanding that we've been called, we've been saved by Christ to become n- new kinds of people, to live a different way, to put off our old way of living and to put on a new way of living. We are continually transformed by Jesus. He transforms our, our desires from sinful things to things of, uh, of Christ, to, to wanting to follow him and to look like him. Did I give 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 12? Does it, Marvin, will you read that for us? Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. So there, 
Paul giving this sort of laundry list of people who won't inherit the kingdom of heaven, a whole long list of, of sins there. And he says, and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been purified, you've been cleansed by Christ, you're, you're being sanctified by him. We are, we are in this constant state of, as believers, going from, uh, uh, until the resurrection, going from being sinners to being made holy. And that's a process that's happening daily. As we come to trust Christ, initially we are made immediately right with God. We are, we are positionally holy, but as we live out our lives, we are being made progressively holy, uh, in, in our bodies and in our character. We are continually transformed, uh, by Christ, uh, changed by Christ as we follow him. But then we see finally that we are, so we're changed initially at, at conversion. When Christ gives us new birth, we're changed continually as we follow Jesus day by day, as he transforms our desires and our will. And then we're changed finally in the resurrection when we spend eternity with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 through 53. Fantastic. So there, Paul giving the sort of doctrine, this understanding of the final resurrection and our glorification, that we will be changed finally in the resurrection. Uh, we will be given resurrection bodies, glorified bodies, ones that are a lot like this, but not tainted by sin and death and sickness and all of the frailties and weaknesses that come with humanity. Uh, but that change doesn't happen now. That's a change that Christ promises uh, finally and completely in the resurrection. So being a disciple of Jesus is to know Christ. It is to follow him. It is to be changed by him. And it is to be also, fourthly, committed to the mission of Christ. So follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, Jesus says. So that is to, to know who he is, to make the decision, to walk after him, to follow him, to be changed by him as he makes us into what he wants to make us into, but also be to, um, to be committed to his cause, to be committed to his mission. Second uh, Corinthians five fifteen through 20. Who has that? Maybe I didn't hand that one out. This is Second uh, Corinthians five fifteen through 20. Paul says, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses uh, against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Uh, For our sake, I'll just finish uh, uh, chapter 5. For our sake, uh, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here in this passage... We see Paul saying that Christ died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So there's a giving up of our agenda for someone else's agenda, specifically for Christ's. Um, he says, he continues on from, uh, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. So now we are thinking, we are to think about other people, not from a human perspective, especially other believers, but from a spiritual perspective. And uh, Paul goes on to say all of this, you see this underlined in green uh, in your notes there and on the screen. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
So you see that what God has done for us in Christ in reconciling us to himself, he's also given as a ministry to us, to others, that we might, uh, by, by and through the gospel, lead others to reconciliation with God as well. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives for Christ. We are committed to his mission, to his agenda, to his cause because of what he has done for us. We're moving quickly, and, and I'm trying to keep up with my own notes here. That's, a, that's maybe a good sign. So just in summary, toward, toward a definition of what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who knows and follows Christ. A disciple is someone who is changed by Christ. And a, a disciple is someone who is committed to the mission of Christ. And so uh, here on this slide, we have Matthew 4:19 again, where Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I've sort of color coded that to see how these different things uh, of knowing, following, being changed by and being committed to the mission of Christ are all representative there. Follow me indicates both that knowing and following of Jesus. You can't follow someone if you don't necessarily know who they are, or at least something about them. And so the implication here is that disciples know who Jesus is and they walk after him. They're changed by Christ. Jesus says, I will make you into something. I will make you fishers of men. And we're committed to the mission of Christ. Jesus comes, as we know from Luke's gospel in uh, Luke chapter 10, that, or Luke chapter 19, excuse me, that Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Likewise, he makes his disciples into fishers of men, into those who, who catch men, who win souls for Christ and for the glory of God. So here's some, here's some working definitions uh, for us as we talk about um, uh, three things. Uh, what a disciple is, what discipleship is, and what discipling is. So a disciple is this. This is how I would uh, define it for us briefly. A person who trusts in the person and work of Jesus Christ and is submitting their life through repentance of sin and obedience to the commands of Christ to be formed by Christ for the purpose of fulfilling Christ's commission. So you see a lot about Jesus in there, and, and I think rightly so, okay? We're following him. So we're trusting him, submitting to him, repenting of sin, obeying him uh, for the purpose of fulfilling his commission. I have a shorter definition for that here in just a moment. What about disciple? Yeah, and you're glad for that. So that's what a disciple is. Here's what discipleship is. When we, um, um, it's kind of funny when we talked about this uh, back in like May on Wednesday nights, we talked about a disciple, discipleship, discipling. And I asked the question, you know, how would we define discipleship? And someone said, it's like the boat that a disciple gets into. And that, you know, <laughs> it kind of makes sense though. Okay. So I would define discipleship this way as the ongoing process of following Christ as Lord and being conformed into his character for his mission. So discipleship is the process of walking daily as an individual, uh, following Christ and being conformed into his character and for his mission. And I know this word discipleship has been used um, uh, to, to define um, a, a discipling uh, as, a, as a process or as an action as well. And, and, um, and I'm fine with that. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Um, here's how I would define discipling. So, on, so either from the pulpit or in classrooms or in hallway conversations or on Wednesday nights, whenever I'm talking about discipling, uh, I, as your pastor, I'm talking, this is what I mean by discipling, okay? The act of helping others follow Christ by lending intentional spiritual support in that person's life and commitment to be conformed to Christ. Okay? The act of helping others follow Christ by lending intentional spiritual support in that person's life and commitment to be conformed to Christ. Now, you want the shorter definitions, so here they are. Okay? 
A disciple, very simply, someone who's following Jesus. Just nutshell version, someone who's following Jesus. That, that implies knowing him, trusting him, uh, being committed to his purpose. Discipleship is that process of faithfully following Jesus, day by day, looking more like him, following him uh, I- I- as he leads in our lives. And then discipling, really simple definition for us. Discipling is helping others faithfully follow Jesus. Or even simpler than that, helping others follow Jesus, if that helps you remember it better. Um, I want to kind of just open the floor now to any questions you might have about these terms, about these definitions, uh, if there's more clarity that needs to be sought um, or, or anything along those lines. So, yeah, everyone who is a disciple of Jesus is, has some form of discipleship in their life. Now, how, how, how much that, how uh, intentional that is on the part of the individual, right? To set aside time daily for Bible study and prayer. Um, how, how disciplined that person is in following Christ. How, uh, how well they are um, uh, submitting their life to Christ as Lord and repenting of sin and all those things in an ongoing way. That's going to differ from person to person. But anyone who claims to be a disciple of Jesus has some form of discipleship. Uh, some will be more faithful and more consistent and others will be less so. So I would say that there's probably varying degrees of discipleship uh, or that process if, if you want to um, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Good question. Does anybody hate these definitions? It's OK to say so. OK. All right. You do. <laughs> OK. Though there is no end. So in that sense, yeah, there's, there's no end to our discipleship. I mean, from the moment you come to know Christ until the, till the day you die, you're, you're, you are in the process of discipleship. You're in the process of following Jesus. Yeah. It is an eternal journey, Scott. So, yeah, so lots of things play into our personal discipleship. Okay, so, uh, so being part of uh, worship together. Uh, corporate worship with the rest of the church. That's part of our discipleship. Christ uh, in his word, God in his word commands us to worship with other believers. And so part of being a disciple, part of our discipleship is obeying Christ's command. So worshiping together with other believers is is part of our discipleship. Studying God's word in in, uh, small groups or or even in large groups is a part of that discipleship as well. Um, When I talk about discipling, though, in just a moment, um, I'm going to be speaking about um, uh, uh, that process, but happening in a much smaller circle, uh, if that makes sense. Okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, worship, Bible study, uh, Sunday school, those things are all part of our discipleship and help us grow as disciples. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Henry. Yeah. Discipling is helping others faithfully follow Jesus. See, there's a smart, there's a smart young man right there in that, in that row. You had some of that candy, didn't you? You're awake. That's right. Okay. All right. So before we, uh, before we move on to, uh, to part uh, two, which is who do I disciple? When we think about helping another person faithfully follow Jesus um, and, and looking at some uh, parameters for what kind of person to do that with. Uh, any other questions about um, being a disciple, discipleship, or, or that term discipling? That, that's a great observation, Karen. Uh, discipling someone 
uh, or being helping someone else follow Jesus, um, is you know, we are helping them to faithfully do it, but we need to faith, be faithful to help, right? So, um, so let, me, let me flesh out that word discipling just a little bit more before we move on. Uh, I've mentioned before, uh, kind of in our mission and vision process, that what I intend uh, for, for us as a church to, to be committed to doing and to grow into doing, uh, it's not something that I expect that, that all, you know, 200 of our church members or whatever are immediately going to begin doing tomorrow. Um, it takes, takes time um, to, to do this intentionally. But what I, what I really hope to, to see in the future from our church uh, are, are several ongoing, uh, either um, one-on-one or even maybe small groups of three, uh, relationships among among believers who are investing in one another, helping them to follow Christ more faithfully, specifically or preferably um, from uh, older generations to younger generations, or more mature believers to less mature believers. It doesn't always have to be older to younger. It can be amongst um, uh, peers by age, but uh, but different levels of maturity in terms of uh, uh, their their walk with Christ and that sort of thing. So, well, so some of you might know this as like one on one, one to one discipleship. Maybe you've used that term before, or life on life discipling. Um, that's kind of what I'm intending by this. Now, certainly Sunday school plays a part in, in our discipleship and our growth as disciples and, and a vital and a very helpful one and has for a long time in the life of our church. And so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, corporate worship also plays into uh, our, our growth as disciples as well as we worship with other believers. But there, there is, and, and we'll see here uh, just in a moment, uh, almost, a, I would say, a biblical mandate Uh, to spend time uh, investing in the lives of others in a more intimate way than just in a small group Bible study or in large group corporate worship that, that we more intentionally, intently and faithfully, as Karen so dutifully pointed out, uh, invest our lives in helping others to follow Jesus. So, um, if it's okay with you all, we'll move on to part two and then, um, maybe we can uh, discuss some more questions, uh, as we go along part two, who do I disciple now before, um, okay, here's what I want to do without cheating. Don't look at your handouts. Okay. So, um, if you can, uh, define for, is there one person who can define for me what a disciple is according to the definitions we just made, Henry, Okay, close. <laughs> Faithfully has more than six letters. It starts with an F and it ends with a W. Yeah, follower of Jesus. So here, Henry, you come, you come get one of these books, okay? I don't know if this is going to make a whole lot of sense to you yet, but maybe when you're like 12, okay? This is a, um, uh, raise your hand if you've received one of these little blue books from me. Okay, good. It's getting around. That's great. So this is a little book called Discipling, uh, and uh, and you'll you'll the subtitle is How to Help Others Follow Jesus. So you'll see that I've stolen a definition here. Um, there are lots of books about discipling and discipleship and discipling other people and helping them follow Jesus and that sort of thing that are very programmatic. And it's like you fo- follow all these steps and do all of these things and go through this workbook together um, that can feel feel really. Um, kind of restricting, even confining, maybe even uh, sometimes make discipling uh, seem more complicated than it really is. One of the reasons I love 
this book and have found it so helpful is that it, it simplifies um, this process of discipling, this, this act or discipline, if you will, of discipling and helping others follow Jesus. It makes it feel a whole lot more um, attainable and achievable and doable in the life of, uh, of a regular believer. Now, that's not to say, uh, or an average believer, that's not to say that other books that have workbooks and programs and things that they're not helpful. Um, I think in some places they are, but for me, man, this just really, um, after reading this book, I said, yeah, of, of course I can do that. And anyone in our church can do that. It's so simple. So I like to give these away because it's really, really helpful. So uh, definition of, of a disciple is someone who is following Jesus. What about discipleship? How did we define discipleship without cheating? Okay, Catherine, the, the process of faithfully following Jesus. There you go. Have I given you one of those books yet? Okay, good. Now, if I've already given you one of these and you get another one tonight, just promise me that you'll give it to somebody else. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right. And then uh, discipling. Uh, if you could define discipling for me, Scott. Okay. Helping others, others faithfully follow Jesus. Excellent. Okay, good. So we've defined those terms. Um, I, don't worry. I have, I, you can see I have several more uh, books to give away tonight. And, um, and uh, I'll probably be getting another shipment soon. And so uh, if by the end of the year your family doesn't have one of these books in your home, uh, something has probably gone horribly wrong. Okay? So let's talk about, so there are working defi- uh, definitions again. A disciple, someone who's following Jesus. Discipleship, the process of faithfully following Jesus. And discipling is helping others to faithfully follow Jesus. So I want to ask the question, why, or, or excuse me, who, who should I disciple? Who should I spend time with uh, investing in their spiritual growth, in their walk with Jesus? Uh, it's good to know what a disciple is, certainly, and, and who we should seek to disciple. But knowing these things doesn't necessarily help us with our motivation for discipling. So before we ask the question who, I want us to ask the question why. Why should we even do this thing? Why should we even spend intentional time with other believers helping them to faithfully follow Jesus? Well, uh, for that, I want to turn to Scripture to help us there and to look at some biblical instruction for why we disciple. And, and three things here. First, because Christ commands it. Secondly, because God commends it. He encourages it. And third, because we see in the course of the New Testament, it is the normal pattern of Christian living. Okay? So, first of all, Christ commands it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. We already looked at this just a few moments ago. For the sake of time, we won't read it again, but you're familiar with this. There's that command, that imperative, those marching orders where Jesus says, make disciples, make followers of me, he says. So, Christ commands it. And I don't think that we need to um, uh, flesh that out a whole lot more. I think that's... uh, Hopefully that's pretty clear. And if that's not clear, uh, we'll have time to discuss it later. But also God commends it. God encourages. God um, um, uh, even uh, uh, more than suggests it. Commends it is the best word I can use. So he exhorts us to disciple. And so several times in the New Testament, Christians are urged and persuaded to imitate the examples of other more mature believers. Several times. And so, um, so here I'm going to read through several very, very quickly. And these are up here uh, on the screen and in your handout as well. 1 Corinthians 4, 15, and 16, Paul says, For though you, have, though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I urge you then, be imitators of me. Paul says, follow my example of living. I set an example for you to follow. As I follow Christ, you follow me. So so there, Paul encouraging the church in Corinth to imitate his life and his faith. Philippians 3.17, 
Paul says there, brothers, again, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So there, Paul, again, inviting them to follow his life, to, to pattern their lives after his life, uh, uh, after his pattern of living, um, and to also watch out for those uh, who are younger, who are also walking according to the gospel, to make sure that they're following that same example as well. Uh, continuing on, Hebrews thirteen seven says this, the author of Hebrews writes, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So three times already this um, this importance of imitating other more mature believers, those who are uh, faithfully following Jesus already as the examples that we have. Uh, Likewise, there are several places that encourage mature believers to set uh, the example for immature and growing believers. So we have that sort of implicit thing uh, in in Paul and in Hebrews uh, talking about imitate. He says, imitate me, follow the example that you have there. But there are other places that encourage mature believers to set the example for immature and growing believers like 1 Timothy 4.12. Or Paul says to the young pastor, Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Uh, Timothy, as this young pastor in Ephesus, is to set an example for what a, a life of a faithful follower of Jesus, a disciple, looks like for his congregation. Even though he is young, he is still able, he has spiritual maturity to set an example for those that he is called to lead. I hope that's like me. God help me. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Paul writes to another uh, pastor, Titus. He says, as for you, uh, you'll see this in bold there, teach what accords with sound doctrine. So Titus is to, as a more mature believer, as a leader in the church, he's to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Catch this. They are, that is, older women are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, and here he turns his attention back to men, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. So an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So to Titus, Paul gives this command that he is to be an example. He is to teach. And likewise, that he is to instruct the older women and the older men in the church to likewise teach the younger men and the younger, well, younger women and younger men, respectively, in the church, what it is to be a mature woman of Christ, a mature man of Christ. And so all of this we see uh, uh, just in the, in the many different examples that are here in the New Testament about uh, where we see God commending uh, through the Apostle Paul, through others to the church, uh, this sort of lifestyle, this ongoing discipline of investing in the spiritual growth and the spiritual maturity of those who are younger, of those who are less mature. We also see, so Christ, com- uh, Christ commands that we make disciples, that we do this thing called discipling. God commends it throughout the New Testament epistles. And certainly we didn't look at all of the examples we could have looked at today. But we see also in the course of the New Testament that discipling is normative. It's normal. It, it is what is to be expected 
in the life of believers, uh, those who are following Jesus. So just as discipling is commanded and commended, we find it's also the normal practice of Christians in the early church in the New Testament. And here are several examples. We won't uh, read all of these passages, but you have them there, and you can go uh, and look those up and read those later this week. But we see Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, where Philip comes alongside this, um, this eunuch from Ethiopia and spends time in the Word with him, explaining to him what it means, leading him to faith in Christ, baptizing him, and and presumably, and we don't have a whole lot of specific information because it's a short uh, sort of event, but presumably even giving some foundation for what it is to follow Christ to this man. Then in Acts chapter 10, we have Peter with Cornelius, Peter going to a Gentile's house for the first time, which is a, a huge deal in that day, and we'll look at that later on in our series uh, in Acts as we go out through uh, go through the rest of the Uh, the rest of the year here. But Peter there with Cornelius spends uh, a substantial amount of time with this Gentile man and his family, teaching them about scripture, teaching them about Christ and helping them to follow Jesus uh, uh, faithfully, even after they're converted. Then we see Paul and Barnabas on their travels in Acts 14, uh, 19 through 28, where they're spending a lot of time with uh, Christians that they, or with, with new Christians that they have led to faith in Christ in the various different cities that they're going to, teaching them what the scriptures say about who Jesus is, how to live in light of that. We see Paul with Timothy uh, in particular, uh, the young man that we just looked at from um, from. Uh, First uh, Timothy or Second Timothy a while ago, in Acts chapter sixteen verses one through five, you have their uh, narrative about how Paul spends time teaching Timothy, leading him uh, to to grow in his maturity uh, as a disciple and as a leader in the church. And then we have in Acts chapter eighteen verses twenty four through twenty eight this ministry couple Priscilla and Aquila with this young talented preacher Apollos. So Apollos is there uh, in in Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila, and and Apollos uh, knows something. Of of God from the, uh, uh, you know, from the Old Testament scriptures. And he's preaching really, really well and in a very compelling way, but he doesn't yet know the whole gospel of Christ. And so Priscilla and Aquila see this young man who, who uh, has just the hand of God upon him. And they spend a lot of intentional time helping him to know Christ, to know the scriptures, how the scriptures point to Christ so that his gospel preaching will be complete, so that it will be full, so that he will be um, uh, maximally effective uh, with the gospel. So, so uh, we see it all over the place in the New Testament um, that discipling is normative. It's happening all the time where people are spending intentional, uh, specific, dedicated time with other believers, helping them to grow in their faith. Uh, any questions about any of those things before we move on to answering the question about who, who I ought to disciple? Okay, so... Let's ask the question then, who should I disciple? I'm going to give you nine, nine points or nine things to look for uh, in terms of thinking about someone to disciple. Very practical wisdom here, okay? Number one, a family member or a child, okay? Uh, uh, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says uh, to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Uh, Timothy came to faith in part, uh, in large part, because of the investment of his mother and his grandmother in his life 
uh, for the gospel. They're teaching about who Christ is. And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says, Their fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we who are parents, the first people we should consider as being those that we spend intentional time discipling are our own children. Uh, they're God's gift to us. And in that, we as believing parents have the responsibility to bring them up to know Christ, to love Christ, to know his word, to obey him, to follow him. Uh, so that when, when they are able and when they are uh, uh, um, aware of their sin and their need for a savior, that in their own time, they can make that profession of faith. They can, they can receive Christ as Lord and continue to uh, grow in that way. So parents, you who have children who are not yet believing, they're not yet able to place faith in Christ yet. That's all right. Just keep plugging away. Okay. Read the Bible with them regularly, constantly, uh, teach them about what's in the Bible because their brains are like little sponges and they're soaking up everything, uh, that, that, that you are doing with them. And those of you as parents who have believing children. So, uh, in our family, we have both, we have a believing child and we have two yet unbelieving children, but for your believing children, continue to spend time in the Bible, help them to understand that their faith in Christ should change their life, that they should look differently, live differently, love differently as a result of knowing Jesus. So who should you disciple first and foremost, a family member or a child, someone that is in your home that you are around on a regular basis. Secondly, um, another believer. Now you can't, so discipleship is kind of a spectrum, right? Um, some have, have broken that spectrum into two halves. You have like evangelism and discipleship. And so before someone knows Jesus, everything you do to lead them to Christ is evangelism. After they come to know Christ, everything you do after that is all discipleship. Um, there are others who just want to extend that discipleship thing just across the whole continuum. And that at some point, you know, somebody makes that decision to follow Jesus. But even what we're doing in evangelism is teaching people the truths of God's word until a point where the, the spirit brings them to conviction and, uh, and the ability to make a decision to follow Christ. But you can't really spend a whole lot of time helping someone mature as a disciple of Christ, as a follower of Jesus, if they aren't already a follower of Jesus, right? So uh, maturity doesn't happen until someone has made that profession of faith. Now, I'm not saying do discipling to the detriment of evangelism. What I'm saying is do both and do both faithfully, okay? So another believer, someone who's... Um, less mature in the faith than you. And, and um, we'll, we'll get on uh, to that here in, a, in just a little bit. Um, Paul, well, just to that note, Paul does say, I'll read the scripture in 1 Corinthians two fourteen through 16, just to make the point. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. He says, for who has understanding? excuse me, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So there Paul making a difference between a person who is, who is a nat, the natural man. That is the person who is without Christ and the spiritual man, the person who is in Christ and the spiritual man is able to receive uh, godly biblical correction and discipline and teaching the natural man, not able to receive any of those things until they've been uh, born again. So another believer, third, a fellow church member, Again, Hebrews thirteen seven. remember your leaders, those who spoke to you to word of the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Uh, Hebrews has all sorts of encouragement for the corporate uh, life of the, the church. So the, the life that we live together and investing in one another's lives in an intentional way. Uh, leaders here, uh, that word in Hebrews thir uh, 13 
probably relates to uh, elders or, or maybe even deacons in the church, but it can, it can apply in lots of other ways. I mean, pastors aren't the only leaders in the church. Deacons aren't the only leaders in the church. We have Sunday school teachers. We have, um, we have lots of people that just serve in lots of different ways in the church, lots of leaders. And so it's important for us to, uh, one, recognize that there's leadership in the church, but also, secondly, that as leaders, we have a responsibility to invest in the lives of those who come alongside us. Um, discipling a fellow church member is also helpful for this perspective. That, so like, let's say, um, let's say you start discipling someone uh, that, that you work with. They're, they're less mature in the faith than you. Um, but they go to a church that, that we would say is Christian, but maybe doesn't believe all the same things that we do, maybe about baptism or the Lord's Supper or, or how someone grows uh, in Christ and in sanctification. Eventually, because you don't share, uh, there's not a common understanding of some of those really important doctrines, maybe not crucial doctrines, but important ones. You'll eventually, if you're trying to disciple that person, run into, uh, you'll start to butt heads over some of those things because they're getting instruction from their elders and their pastors and you have instruction and a, you know, a tradition of, uh, of faith and, and uh, a certain, certain convictions about scripture as well that eventually may not be very compatible. But if you're discipling someone who's in the same church, um, then they're getting the same instruction as you from the pulpit every Sunday. Uh, Lord willing, I hope so, the same sort of uh, instruction in Sunday school classes and in small groups. There's nothing that's going to be way out of the the vein of what we're all trying to do together. So discipling a fellow church member is helpful in in that regard. Fourth, and hopefully, I don't have to explain this too much, same gender. So men need to disciple men and women need to disciple women uh, for all of the obvious reasons, okay? But for the less obvious reasons... Um, a, a man can't know what it is to be a biblical man if all of the examples of, um, of, of spiritual maturity in his life are women. Like men need mature men to teach them how to be men who follow Christ. And women need mature women who can teach them how to be mature women of Christ. Now, we all learn from one another and I learn from my wife constantly. I learn from, you know, my mother and grandmothers and things like that as well. Most of my Sunday school teachers growing up uh, were women and, and thank God for them. But I am who I am as a man today because of the investment of other men in my life. Um, and, and that's just absolutely uh, critical. And so, um, so same gender, um, uh, aside from issues of impropriety, it, it, um, men need men to teach them how to be men and likewise women as well. So uh, continue on, number five, um, age. Now, you might want to consider someone who is, um, uh, in terms of years, younger than you, uh, less mature than you. Uh, but age isn't just... Um, uh, something that, that we consider with regard to, you know, uh, decades and, and generations, but also just spiritual maturity. So I would lump both physical and or spiritual maturity in this, uh, in this category of age, preferably someone who is younger than you uh, and or less mature uh, in Christ than you. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Timothy um, Five one, he says, "Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity." First Timothy four twelve is the um, is the passage we read uh, earlier, where Paul says, "Don't let anyone look down upon you for your age, but set an example uh, uh, for the church in all of these different ways." So, um, so look for someone who's younger than you um, physically, younger than you um, in in spiritual maturity as well. Um, 
That doesn't mean that someone who is less mature in Christ cannot teach someone who is more mature in Christ. In fact, a lot of the teaching and discipling relationships is, is both ways. It's kind of a, it's kind of a two-way street, um, but it helps for there to be a little bit of a difference there. And for the one who's more mature, either in age or in spiritual maturity, preferably both, um, to be kind of setting, setting the agenda, setting the course for what you're going to be doing together. Uh, seventh, teachability. You want to disciple someone who shows a teachable spirit, someone who wants to learn. Um, I skipped number six. You're right. So number five, age, number six, excuse me, we'll get to number seven in a minute. Number six, someone who's different from you. Uh, Revelation seven, uh, nine through 10 says this. After I, after this, I looked, John says, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our Lord God. Excuse me. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So there uh, in eternity, we will be worshiping God with people from every nation, from all tribes, peoples and languages. Um, I think it's a good idea to get a head start on that, um, to disciple people that are different than us. So consider. um, So like if if you are a middle class white man who has always lived in the middle class and has never had any experience outside of suburban uh, Albuquerque or whatever, try not to disciple someone who's in the same place in life. Uh, Look for someone who's coming from a different uh, a different background, a different perspective, different ethnicity, different nationality, maybe an immigrant or something like that, because in doing that, your your understanding of how God works in in different people from different backgrounds will be will be um, dramatically expanded in that. Um, likewise, maybe look for someone like two or three generations younger than you. So, uh, some of you who are, are older, maybe in your senior years, maybe you think about discipling a, a high school student or a, or a middle school student who, who is living in a completely different generation than you. Um, it's good to put ourselves in positions where we need to rely on God to stretch us and uh, where we just need to rely on God to help us, where, where we don't know how to, how to interact there. And it's good for other people when they see that we're setting that example, that I'm willing to, to place myself in an uncomfortable situation or maybe an unlikely relationship for the sake of the glory of God. So someone who's different than you. Now, number seven, someone who is teachable. Um, you can't really disciple someone, help someone mature in their faith if they don't want to mature in their faith. You can't help someone follow Jesus if they don't want to follow Jesus. Um, now, not all of that is going to be readily available as you begin discipling someone. Uh, at first, uh, people may... So uh, I've had discipling relationships in the past. Uh, one in particular where a young man seemed really, really eager to want to grow and to change and be, you know, uh, to be challenged and convicted and other things like that. And um, after meeting for a series of months, some things began happening in his life that were just... He began doing some things that were not consistent with his professor faith in Christ. And I pointed those things out to him. Um, and he just kind of lied about it, just said, no, that's not really what's happening. And that's not the case. And none of that happened. And so I pressed and pressed and pressed. And he just continued to be dishonest. And eventually I just said, I, I can't keep doing this because it's clear that you're not responding to, you know, to what is true. And, and so, you know, and, and so our discipling relationship kind of quit there because he stopped being teachable. But likewise, we as disciplers need to also be teachable. So you, as you pursue a discipling relationship with someone else, you need to, to be willing to learn from them also. Um, and before, it's where I said before, often in discipling, 
relationships. These things are a two-way street. Um, in some of my, my best and most productive uh, discipling relationships, um, I have learned almost as much, sometimes even more, from the person I was discipling than I feel like I was able to impart to them. And that's just the grace of God working in that situation. So we need to look for people who are teachable, who want to grow, but we also need to have a heart that is teachable and desiring to grow um, as well. Uh, eighth, um, a desire and faithfulness to teach others. So not just that they're teachable, but that they want to learn so that they might also do what they have been taught to do. Second Timothy two, two, Paul says this, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Also that principle of teaching things to those who will be faithful to teach them to others as well. We, we ought to look to disciple people who, who want to grow as disciples so that they can make disciples. Does that make sense? We should be going after and producing, reproducing disciples. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm, I've used that word in so many ways. It's just, it's lost all meaning. But, um, but, but we're aiming for, for replication. We're aiming for reproduction. We're aiming for multiplication of disciples. Not just that I disciple this one person and for the rest of my life, I disciple them. They never disciple anyone else and I never disciple anyone else. Well, that's not really reproducing. That's not really multiplying. That's maybe making disciple, but not as Jesus says to make disciples. Okay. So, uh, someone who has a desire and a faithfulness to teach others. Ninth, uh, uh, finally here, and there, there may be other factors as well that you might think of, uh, proximity and schedule. This is just incredibly practical. Um, you probably, um, uh, unless your, your lives just work so uh, such that it makes sense. Don't want to disciple someone who lives all the way across town from you. Um, unless you're intersecting, uh, like at work on a regular basis or something like that. Um, but think about how, um, if, if it's really, really difficult to make your schedules, your schedule fit together with someone to disciple them, um, maybe that's, maybe that's not the best person to disciple because we're wanting to spend intentional time with someone on a regular basis. Um, either once a week or every other week or maybe once a month, whatever it is. But bring all of that into consideration when you do it. Um, likewise, uh, in the same way that it's helpful to disciple someone who's a fellow church member, it's probably not helpful to try to disciple someone that lives in Texas when you live in Albuquerque, okay? It's just, it's just you know, practically, it's just hard to make that work. So look for people whose lives you, you, you maybe intersect already on a regular basis and, um, and seek them out to, to enter into a discipling relationship. Um, Okay, I have, a, I have a handout, but before we get to that, are there any questions about those things and, uh, and, and things to look for when you're uh, thinking about who should I disciple? Yeah, Jared? What? <laughs> well, then I would refer back to, yeah, that's true. I would just, uh, again, someone who's probably a fellow church member, someone that you know. Um, um, Honestly, Jared, you're probably going to be looking for someone to disciple you. Uh, you already have one of those people in your dad. Um, but if anybody ever approaches you to say, um, hey, I'd like to disciple you, you should probably immediately go to your dad and say, dad, is it okay that this person wants to disciple me? Okay, so God's given you parents to help you make those decisions um, and to make them wisely. Okay. Uh, yeah, Will. 
Now, these are really more recommendations than anything else. Uh, these are not hard and fast kind of things, except for like the, 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 um, the same gender thing that might be like, and, and the, you know, the, you, you got to disciple a believer. Okay. So maybe those might be the two hard and fast ones, right? It's got to be another believer and it's got to be someone that's the same gender as you. I, I would say that those are the, those are biblical uh, constraints that are there. The others are just, um, maybe principles or patterns that we see in scripture. It's a good question though. Yeah. None of these are hard and fast rules. Henry. Yeah, especially if someone looks dangerous. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> but again, this is you want you want to disciple someone that you already maybe have a little bit of a relationship with. And if it's a fellow church member, there's already that that aspect of it. Right. You already have that in common. And that's a really good place to start. Um, likewise, if someone is approaching you to that wants to disciple you, if you are younger and you're, you're here for that tonight, um, it should be someone that, you know, and, and, and maybe generally have already a little bit of, of uh, uh, relationship of trust there. But in all this pray and, and ask that God would would help you to, to exercise wisdom in that. I want to um, give to you a handout. Uh, here's what I'll do. I'll just here's a stack for this side, and we're probably going to run out on that side before. And there's a stack on this side. Um, in this handout, you'll see the first uh, four pages or so. Uh, it says uh, assessing spiritual life stages. Um, this, this is a really, just, just a helpful tool. This isn't like, uh, these, 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 you know, these aren't like 10 commandments to discipling or anything like that, but just for, as you, uh, are maybe looking to disciple someone else to help you kind of evaluate maybe where in their walk with Christ they are in terms of maturity and maybe even where you are as well in terms of looking for someone who's less mature than you to help to disciple, uh, on the, on the backside of that. I think it's on the back side of the last page. There's kind of a wheel. And this is from um, one of those books that has a program for discipling that I said are not always helpful. Um, this part of that book actually happens to be very helpful. From a book called Real Life Discipleship by Jim Putman. And, uh, and this, this wheel has just this uh, sort of a, a continuum, if you will, of uh, spiritual uh, uh, maturity. And so you'll see there the different stages. There's the, the person who is spiritually dead. They're walking in unbelief. And the thing that you need to do most in their life is just to share the gospel, to, to lead them to Jesus, to teach them the, the truth of who Christ is. Uh, after they are born again, then they kind of enter in as sort of a, a spiritual infant. Now, uh, I don't necessarily love that term, but, but it is helpful for um, for at least understanding this, this growth uh, in Christ. And so if you're with someone who's a brand new believer and you're discipling them, you're going to want to um, spend time focusing on just sharing your life with them, sharing new truth from God's word with them, sharing new habits from God's word with them, just helping them to grow in those initial stages as a believer. Maybe someone who's a, a spiritual uh, a child or, or adolescent, you're going to want to help them to connect to God, to connect to, um, uh, to a small group, uh, in the church or just other ways to help them to, to grow and, and get the resources they need to, to grow as a believer, connecting them to their purpose in Christ, um, so on and forth, so forth, you know, young adult parent, you guys can look at this on your own time. But, um, in the rest of that handout, you have ways of just kind of discerning where people are in their spiritual walk. Um, so for instance, uh, if you turn over like to maybe the second page there, you'll see a spiritual child is marked by, uh, spiritual self-centeredness, idealism, overconfidence, or underconfidence, uh, things that you might expect to hear from someone who's, who's, who's fairly immature in their faith. Things like this, like, I do believe in Jesus. My church is in the woods. It's just him and me, right? I'm, it's just me and Jesus. And that's the relationship that they need to know the value of the church in their life. Um, 
Other things like, you know, who are all these new people come to our church? The church is getting too big. You know, spiritually immature people are, are afraid of, of, of changes and, and new people coming in and different things like that. You can read through all of these on your own time. Uh, but these are really helpful, uh, just a, kind of a helpful tool for discerning uh, where people might be at in their walk with Christ as you uh, think about engaging them in a discipling relationship. Some, some of them are pretty funny, and some of them you, you probably have heard before. Yeah, so um, I want to take a break here. We're going to, um, for just a few minutes, to kind of stretch and move around and use the boys' room or the girls' room. Um, I'll hang out here, though, uh, if you guys have any questions uh, kind of during the break. So let's come back in about five, six minutes, all right? Okay, let's begin making our way back to our seats. Um, As we do, uh, I'll give out some more stuff because that's what I like to do. Uh, Someone earlier saw me uh, bringing in all the snacks and other things, and they said, man, you spoil people. And I said, when they come to special things, you better believe that I do. So um, I want to spoil you a little bit more, but I want to make you work for it. So without, again, without cheating, uh, uh, without looking at your notes, uh, we, we talked about nine Uh, Nine different things to look for in someone uh, that you might be looking to disciple. Factors to consider in uh, in entering into a discipling relationship. Can anybody name me one of those factors? Amber? Okay, someone who's teachable. Good. Hand that to Amber for me. Good. Uh, Another one? I heard uh, uh, Meredith. Not Meredith. Melinda, thank you. Is that another believer? Yes, excellent. Okay. Same gender. Did Keller, did I give you one of these books yet? No. Okay, well, you got one now. Okay, I have three more. Three more characteristics. Yeah, uh, Ginny. Okay, age. So someone who's either younger than you or less mature in uh, Christ than you. Miranda? Someone, someone different than you. We hand that to Miranda thing. Okay, I got one more for one, one, last, uh, one last characteristic or one last factor to consider when thinking about discipling someone. Okay, proximity schedule. Excellent. Good. There. Excellent. Good job. Okay, so here, here they all are again. Um, if my, uh, my iPad will swipe. Okay, so a family member, another believer, church member, uh, someone of the same gender, uh, age, either younger in age than you or uh, less mature uh, in their faith than you, someone who's different from you. Uh, someone who is teachable and you are self, you yourself being teachable also. Someone who has a desire to teach others, uh, which is very important. And then considering their proximity and their schedule. So we have to this point. Now, I, I was just uh, telling Mikey and Ken this earlier. We did all of this in five Wednesday nights uh, last year in May. And we're cramming all of that into two hours today. Okay, so um, you're welcome. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to say about that. Uh, so that's why we're moving so quickly. And so um, I just want to say if you have any any uh, follow up questions about anything that we talk about today, or questions that come out of um, maybe your continued study or reading from these books or whatever, please don't hesitate to, uh, to call me, to email me, uh, or Pastor Danny as well. Uh, he's been through a lot of this uh, also, and we talk about it regularly uh, in the office also. So please reach out for more resources uh, and more help uh, because I, I love um, resourcing people in that way. So to this point, though, we have defined what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus. Discipleship is the ongoing process of faithfully following Jesus. And discipling is the act of uh, intentionally helping someone or faithfully helping others to 
faithfully follow Jesus, okay? We talked about who we should look to disciple and, and why we should do that. Uh, Christ has commanded us to make disciples. God commends it. We see it's the natural uh, just sort of rhythm of life for believers in the New Testament, and that ought to continue even into the 21st century. And so now during kind of our, our last hour, I want to talk about um, how should I disciple someone? So I know what it is. I know what I'm trying to do. I know who it is that I'm trying, going to try to do this with um, and who it is I'm going to try to help follow Christ. But I need to know how to do it. Okay. What's the program that I follow or, or whatever? Well, I don't have a program, but I just have a couple of principles. The first one is this. How should I disciple someone? You should disciple someone uh, in the word. In God's word, okay? And by that, I mean the Bible should be the foundation, the anchor, the one consistent factor in your meeting times together, okay? Um, discipling as a concept is different from mere, uh, quote-unquote, mentoring in the respect that it is explicitly Christian and spiritual. So CEO of your company can't disciple you uh, in a Christian sense, if, if what he's wanting to do is just teach you how to run the company so that you can take his place. That's, that's, that's mentoring. That's, um, that's you know, development or whatever. Discipling is intentionally Christian and spiritual. So it's more than just imparting your personal wisdom and experience in the life of another. It's, it's doing that, but, but not of your own power, but of God's power and through his word. So we are certainly spiritual by God's design, but we're Christian by faith in the gospel, faith in Christ, faith in God's word, uh, we can say with confidence that it is God's word that has worked out our salvation. Okay. Um, God does a lot of things through his word. Uh, primarily, he works through his word and he works through his word in several different ways. And that's why we want his word to be at the center of our discipling relationships, because we want God to work best in the lives of others. And God works best and he works clearest through his word. These are some of the things that God does in his word. He creates by his word. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see throughout the rest of the verses that follow. And God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said, God speaks and these things are done. Psalm 33, 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. God creates by his word. His word is powerful to do that, to bring everything out of nothing. Secondly, God calls believers to himself by his word. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. Um, I'll, I'll read all of that here. Familiar passage to um, uh, most of you, I hope. Where Paul writes, how then will they call on him, that is Christ, in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's not a plug for Ken's organization that he works for. <laughs> faith comes by hearing. Um, it's the other way around, right? Yeah, no. but yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's a pretty good, it's a pretty good name for an organization. Faith comes by hearing, but faith comes by hearing. Paul says, and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of God calls people to be saved. First, first Peter, uh, chapter one, verse 23. I'm, I'm doing my Bible drills here tonight says, uh, uh, beginning in, in verse 22, Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth 
For sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It is God's word that brings our dead souls to life. So God calls believers to himself by his word. Uh, Third, God works all of his purposes through his word. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. Isaiah says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, God says, be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God uh, works all of his purposes through his word. He says so in Isaiah. Fourth, we're just going to, we're just, um, a biblical theology of what, God does in his word here, okay? God shapes believers with his word, okay? So he creates, uh, quick review, he uh, creates by his word, he calls believers to himself by his word, he works all of his purposes through his word, he shapes believers with his word, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture, that is God's word, is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You can read Hebrews 4, 12, and 13 uh, throughout this week on your own time. For the sake of time, we'll continue moving. But God shapes believers with his word. His word is a helpful tool in shaping our lives to look like Christ. Uh, Fifth, God's word never fails. Amen? Isaiah, that's good. Man, y'all are good Baptists. I like that. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. We read there in Isaiah, A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? He said, All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Those those verses also quoted in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, and 1 Peter 1, 25. God's word never fails. You want to build your discipling ministry, your discipling relationship on something that won't ever fall apart? Build it on God's word. Okay. Then we see in Psalm 119, God's word does all sorts of things. Psalm 119, super long Psalm. It's actually 22 different stanzas, uh, in acrostic style, uh, poetry. Um, it's wonderful anyway. So God's word in Psalm 119 does all of these things. Are you ready? It blesses, it guides, it delights, it gives life, it teaches, encourages, comforts, sustains, assists in repentance, brings mercy. God's word is a source of hope. God's word is unchanging. It brings wisdom. It directs, it protects, it conveys God's promises and imparts understanding. It is holy. It is worthy of meditation. It helps us to pray. It brings deliverance. uh, It brings peace and it delivers us from our sin and from trial to name a few. God works all sorts of wonders through his word. So as we... Uh, look to build discipling relationships with other believers that we're wanting to help grow in their maturity in Christ. We, we uh, can begin no better place than God's word, which has called us to salvation and helps us to grow in salvation and impart God's word um, to them. So how should I disciple someone in God's word? Now, how do I do that? How do I God use God's word in discipling? Well, placing God's word at the center of our discipling relationships is a necessity for Christian discipleship. So then, how do we do that? How do we use God's word in discipling? How do we, how do we open God's word with other people uh, uh, over coffee or over lunch on a regular basis to help them grow in their discipleship with Christ? Well, 
Here's what you do. These are some really simple, practical helps. Uh, things even that I uh, practice and work through weekly as I'm uh, writing sermons for Sunday morning, or if I'm um, uh, uh, planning a, a lesson to teach in, a, in another um, in another context. Things that I go through as I'm preparing to teach others, or or even to preach. Um, here's what I recommend. Find someone to disciple, you get a schedule worked out, you're going to meet, you know, once every other week over coffee on, you know, Friday afternoons, and you meet at the same place every week, and you know you're going to read the Bible together. So here's how you're going to read the Bible together so that you can both grow in Christ and, and you can help them do this. First, you start by reading God's word for understanding. Now, now, by this, I mean the majority of your time in discipling relationships is going to be spent in God's word. Okay? That's going to be the bulk of your time when you meet regularly. So read for understanding. First of all, uh, before y- you read, pray for help to understand. In John 15, Jesus promises that, the Holy, that he promises the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He lives within us. He's the seal of our salvation. Um, he exists within us, the same Holy Spirit that inspired the word of God to help us to understand what the word of God is saying. So all that you, you really need, honestly, if we're, if we're just being honest with ourselves, to be a good student of the word of God uh, is, is a copy and a translation that you can read and understand. Uh, and, and a heart that is teachable and open to the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, really, that's, that's all that you need. So first of all, pray for help to understand God's word. Pray for that uh, together with the person that you're discipling. Uh, then work together through whole books of the Bible. This is incredibly helpful for understanding the Bible as a whole. Um, if you're uh, w- discipling someone and, they, and, and their agenda is to just deal with, like what they want is to just, I want practical helps for living day to day. Today I have this question, next week I'm going to have this question, the week after that I'm going to have that question. And, and they want to deal with each of those questions individually and, and not as they relate to one another. What you're going to find yourself doing is, is hopscotching all throughout scripture to pull a verse that applies here and a verse that applies there. And, whatever. and that's, that's good. I mean, God's word is helpful there. I'm not, I'm not denying that. But God did not write the Bible piecemeal, okay? He didn't, he didn't write a little bit of Genesis and then a little bit of James and then a little bit of Psalms and then go back to Genesis and then start working on Matthew, right? God inspired human authors to write whole books at a time. Um, some of them very long. I mean, Genesis through Deuteronomy is really one long book that is so long they had to break it up into, you know, five scrolls that would, that would fit them all, okay? Um, so, so God speaks to us in, in extended discourses. Um, the, the, the Bible is not just, the, the, the words that are in the Bible are not just inspired by the Holy Spirit. Even the order of the words, even the, the whole uh, progression of the books of the Bible um, are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. There are themes that are being um, drawn out through entire works. Like, for instance, if you um, are, are studying with someone, the gospel of Matthew, you will see over and over and over and over again, this concept of the kingdom of God and Jesus as the son of David, who is the king. And, and it just builds on itself throughout all of Matthew. But you don't see that if you don't read all of Matthew. Okay. You, you don't really absorb all of that. If you don't read all of it, um, 
reading whole books of the Bible together is part of the, the, uh, my, the, the value of doing it is part of the inspiration behind how I preach on Sunday nights when we gather and just preaching through whole books of the Bible. Because I want us as a, as a church to, to have a good, a good grasp of just the general flow of Scripture, um, to have kind of a good bird's eye view of what's happening in the Bible. And so work through whole books of the Bible together in your discipling relationships. Um, those of you, and I know Debbie Clay is, um, who are familiar with uh, precept ministries um, and inductive Bible study methods, those are super helpful in discipling relationships, um, teaching people how to, uh, how to ask or, or even uh, be BSF Bible Study Fellowship, they do a lot of the same stuff as well. How to ask good questions of the text, um, how to use, uh, how, how to use um, clearer passages of the Bible to help you answer uh, questions about maybe unclear passages and those sorts of things. So you who have uh, training in precept or, or have been in Bible Study Fellowship, you have a lot of really great tools for discipling other people and teaching them how to read God's Word. So pray for help to understand, work together through whole books of the Bible, and then take your study one complete thought at a time. Um, I don't always say one chapter at a time through uh, books of the Bible, although that's helpful with some books. You may find that you need to take it smaller, you know, chunks um, at that. I don't know if I would just do one verse a week because then you're, you're going to plod along and never feel like you're making any progress. OK, uh, but you could start in like a, a book like the Gospel of Mark and work one chapter a week or um, uh, something like that. But anyway, work a complete thought at a time. And most of our Bibles are helpful um, to kind of break those thoughts up for us. Um, as you continue to use God's word in discipling, um, ask questions of the text together. So begin by reading for understanding. And in terms of reading for understanding, you want to ask good questions of the text. Uh, these are in your, your outline there. You want to ask historical questions of the text that is to say, where does this book of the Bible, where does this passage fit in the history of salvation? We talk about redemption history, salvation history frequently on Sunday nights. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. How does this book of the Bible that we're reading fit into that? Fit into that broader gospel story that God is telling from Genesis through Revelation. You want to ask canonical questions. That is Questions related to the canon of Scripture, um, the, the books that are in the Bible. How does this book, how does this passage relate to the rest of the Bible? How does the Gospel of Mark relate to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke? How does the Gospel of Mark relate to uh, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament? We want to ask those kinds of questions. Um, uh, frequently, if you have a good uh, reference Bible that just has uh, cross-references and footnotes and things, um, those cross-references will help you to, to see how certain passages relate to other places in the Bible. So become good friends with your, um, with your, uh, with your reference Bible and the, uh, the cross-references that are noted there. You want to also learn to ask cultural questions of the Bible. So what cultural practices are present in this text? Like, for instance, if you're in Galatians and Paul is talking regularly like about circumcision versus the law, you may need to understand what it meant, what circumcision meant for the Jews, for the Hebrews in the Old Testament. And you might need to do a little bit of study in like Exodus and or Leviticus uh, or, or even, excuse me, further back into like Genesis and God's call to Abraham to understand why that's so important for, um, for Jewish identity um, uh, in the first century and, and why Paul is speaking so strongly against requiring everyone uh, who comes to Christ to be circumcised, okay? So you want to ask those kinds of cultural uh, references of it. What, what cultural, or cultural questions? Ask what cultural references are mentioned here that I don't yet understand. So like in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, we talked about this a couple of months ago on a Sunday night where Paul's talking about uh, women prophesying or praying in church with their heads uncovered. Um, what does that mean? 
What's going on there? You might need to dig a little bit into some, into some cultural context to understand what it is that Paul's saying. Um, fourth, you may need to ask doctrinal questions. So that is, is there a specific doctrine, a specific teaching or something really important about who God is or how he works or who we are or what Christ has done that we really need to dig into and press into? Are there um, things that are being taught? Are there certain actions that are being prescribed, like things that we should do? Or are there actions that are being proscribed, things that we ought not do? Um, and then you might just have other miscellaneous questions like, what else do I need to understand about this passage? It's presently unclear. Like, I don't understand that. So it just made first uh, Corinthians, uh, 15 where Paul is talking, uh, Paul makes this passing reference to baptism for the dead. And then he just moves right on after that. Right. Um, uh, for Paul, it wasn't a big deal, but, but for us and we who have, you know, Mormon friends and neighbors who actually do practice baptism for the dead and they base it on that scripture, what? It helps to kind of understand what Paul is talking about. So we might need to ask further miscellaneous questions about what is going on there. So learn to ask these kinds of questions, historical, canonical, cultural, doctrinal, and ask these questions with the people that you are discipling, with the person that you are discipling. Ask them and answer them together. So first, read for understanding. Second, read God's word for transformation. Okay, We don't just want to know God's word. We want to apply it to our lives that we might be changed by it. So ask these kinds of questions. After you've understood what the text is saying, then begin to ask these questions. What is this text telling me about who God is? Okay. What is this passage telling me about mankind or about myself, about my sinful nature or about who I am in Christ? What is this text telling me about God's relationship to man, how he reconciles us to himself, what that implies for me, what, what I ought to do as a result of that? If you really want to, to grow in your ability to, to, not, to, to move from understanding what God's word is saying to applying it to your life and being changed by it, learn to ask these three questions, to ask them often and to ask them well, to really press in and search for answers. What is this text telling me about God? What is it telling me about mankind, humanity, myself? And what is this text telling me about God's relationship to man? I promise you, if you learn to ask those three questions regularly and honestly and seek to answer them clearly um, uh, to yourself and for others, you will grow by leaps and bounds in your ability to apply God's word in your own life. Continuing to read for transformation, we ask those initial questions. Then ask some of these other questions. Where does or how might the meaning of this text intersect my life? So you come to understand what Paul is saying about women prophesying or praying with their heads covered in church, that he's talking about uh, women and even men addressing and, uh, and um, comporting themselves uh, rightly and well behaving in a pure way in church uh, when, when the church gathers so that, um, so that we're not being a distraction to other believers um, and, and to their purity and to other things. You're like, okay, I get what Paul is saying there. Now where's that intersect my life? Are there things that I'm doing that are causing others to be distracted in worship? Are, are, are there things that I'm, that, um, men or women, we may need to ask this question. Am I dressing appropriately for church or am I dressing in a way that's going to cause people to be distracted? Um, am I honoring God by the way that I behave in church or, or am I being dishonoring because I'm trying to draw too much attention to myself? Ask, where does this text intersect my own life? Secondly, you might need to ask, what am I doing or what am I not doing that I need to stop doing? that I need to start doing, okay? Um, so what are, the, what are the things that the text is telling us to, to do that we need either uh, good habits we need to start, bad habits we need to quit? Third, what might this mean for someone who's not like me at all? Okay, so ask the, the question of, of, 
uh, um, of, ask the same question of the text, but for someone, um, m- maybe imagine in your head as best you can, someone who lives in communist China and is under uh, uh, oppression from the state um, or, or at least um, trying to be subjected by the, by the state government in terms of how they're able to worship. Ask, ask the question from that perspective. What does this text mean for someone living under, under communist oppression in China? How does it apply to them? Because that will help to broaden your view, your understanding of how, how, this text, uh, how various texts of the Bible apply, not just to your life, but to others as well, and how they might apply to your life in the future. I don't know. Then fourth, if this text is convicting me of changes I need to make in my life, we need to ask the question, do I want to make those changes? Like, if this passage is calling me to repent of a sin that I, I know I'm living in, um, do I really want to repent of that? Do, am I willing to, to do the things that Scripture is calling me to do? And if not, why not? What's keeping me from wanting to follow Christ uh, in that way? So read for understanding. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Learn to ask those important questions of the text. Read for transformation, asking what the text is saying about who God is, who we are, his relationship to us, and how that, that text specifically intersects with your life and how it might be shaping or, uh, or, or moving your life one way or another. Then third, learn to uh, read in order to teach others. So we want to understand God's word. We want to be able to apply God's word to our own life. But we want to understand and apply God's word so that we can then teach it to other people. Okay? Fulfilling the Great Commission involves teaching disciples, as Jesus says, to obey all that Christ has commanded us. And so this implies a need for, for all of Christ's disciples to know God's word well enough to teach others uh, what his word is saying. Second Timothy 2, 2, entrust these things to faithful men who will also teach others. Titus 2, 1 through 8, older women teaching the younger women, older men teaching the younger men. Um, this is a, a constant cycle. And, and if we ever stop reading God's word to understand it, to apply it, and then that we might teach it, eventually we'll stop teaching God's word altogether. Okay? So we need to understand it. We need to apply it to our own lives. Seek to understand how we might apply it to others, but then also learn to... Um, uh, Learn how to teach God's word to other people. Um, that was very quick. Man, we blew right through that. Um, I want to I give you something. Uh, two, two tools. Okay. Um, here's a stack. Did anybody not get the, hand, the other handout that I passed out? Do I need to make more copies? Okay. I'll have to make another copy for you, Will, before we leave tonight, or I'll get it to you like on Wednesday, okay? So there's a stack to pass around. Or if someone in your family got it, you share with them. Um, the, first, the first thing that you are getting is a, uh, here you go, is kind of like five starter sessions for you. So let's say you find somebody that you want to disciple and you've got a schedule worked out, but you don't really know where to start. Um, with the help of uh, Jim Hyder, who's presently working in Wisconsin, uh, last year he helped me to, um, to develop five sort of initial study guides for discipling. Now these are not, I know I just said read through whole books of the Bible together, okay? These are not Bible book studies, all right? So it's like I just contradicted everything that I told you to do. Um, but what... But what these uh, first five sessions will do is help to 
um, to clarify, to set the stage for talking about the gospel so that every conversation you have about God's word can you you'll you'll have the tools or at least the, the foundation you need to be able to bring it back to the gospel, to understand all of God's word in light of who Christ is and what he's done for us uh, in redemption. And so in session one, you have just a brief kind of overview of the whole gospel. God, man, Christ response. God is holy. He's a creator. He's created us for a relationship of love, worship, obedience to him. Mankind is sinful by our own willful uh, choices. We have spurned God's love. We have been disobedient. We have separated ourselves from God. God in his love for us, uh, not desiring for us to, um, uh, to, to remain in our separated and sinful state, sends his son Jesus, God in the flesh, uh, truly God, truly man, to live a, a perfect sinless life that we could not live, to die a death on the cross in our place, to be raised from the dead, so that anyone who has faith in him, who responds to the truth of the gospel and to Jesus Christ with faith and trusting their lives to him, would be saved. God, man, Christ response, okay? So the first session is just kind of an overview of the gospel. Session two is specifically about God, who God is. Session three is about man, who man is, and our sinfulness. Um, what, what man's sinful nature is like. Session four is about Christ, his identity, what he accomplishes for us on the cross and in the resurrection. And then session five is about response. How do we respond to the gospel and what is the necessary, um, what is the necessary follow-up to knowing the truth of the gospel? So there are, um, there's like a study guide on the one side and on the back side of each sheet in that packet, you have some follow-up questions that you yourself can do, uh, to kind of evaluate how your discipling time went to help the per- person that you're discipling to ask right questions of the text, so on and so forth. Um, the very last page in that packet is a black and white uh, version of this one that I gave to you in color because it just looks so much better in color. And, uh, and when, you go th- when you do all the work to make it look nice in color, you want to print it in color for the people that you're giving it to. So um, this is a way to kind of structure your, t- your discipling meeting time. So you're making the most of your time uh, together as you meet, um, and so that you're also being responsible to, to not meet for like six hours every time you meet, okay? Um, we want to we wanna be efficient, um, um, but n- I mean, really, who among us can spend six hours once a week with someone in discipling? Um, I mean, it's just really hard. So here's a good way to kind of keep that time uh, to about 60 to 80 minutes, okay? An hour to an hour and a half or so. Um, you'll see how it's called the three-thirds method, and this is borrowed from uh, two guys, Ying Kai and Stephen Smith, uh, with, um, who, who put together, you see the, the web uh, address for that down on the bottom, T for T, which is training for trainers. Um, this is kind of a, 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 a missional discipling uh, sort of schedule that they, uh, or disciple-making schedule that they use or began using in China and, and have begun to use in lots of other places around the world. Um, but man, is it ever just helpful uh, for us as we think about structuring our time. So for your first 15 to 20 minutes in your time together, you're going to look back, okay? You're going to do some mutual care or, or sort of pastoral care, if you will. You're going to share some highlights, some challenges of the last week. Uh, you want to keep your sharing short and brief. Just, this isn't, you know, mope and grope time or... Um, um, or, or just, uh, um, you know, complaining or whatever, just, you know, do your high lows and then move on, spend some time, uh, in worship together. Now you could sing a song if, if you're so inclined to do so, or maybe you just read a Psalm together, uh, or, or, um, or together recall a passage from your personal Bible devotion that was just really impactful for the week. Just share some time in, in thanking God for how he's been faithful to you, uh, in that way, spend some time in loving accountability. So you need to ask these questions of each other. 
How did you, you know, apply the truths of Scripture from the last time? Who have you been sharing the gospel with? Who are you discipling? How is it going discipling others? You know, there's that thing that you said you needed to repent of last week. Are you walking in repentance of those things? Do some accountability and some follow-up from the things you talked about before. And then cast a little bit of uh, vision uh, for, for, for those things moving forward. You know, talk about, um, uh, give some motivation, some encouragement for the, those who are trying to share the gospel with someone, but they're just running into challenges, you know. Pray about those things. If it's a, an issue of confession or repentance, help them to confess sin and walk in repentance. Um, spend some time doing that. 15, 20 minutes doing that. And then you'll see the middle, the middle third of the time is not really a third. It's, it's longer than that. But 30 to 40 minutes, and this is where you're spending most of your time uh, reading the Bible together, studying the Bible together. Um, you're going to use some inductive Bible study methods to facilitate understanding and application. You're going to try to read for understanding, read for transformation, read, read to be able to teach others. Um, some helpful sort of um, uh, uh, just questions to ask again are your five W's, your one H, who, what, when, where, why, how. Ask those questions of the text. Ask the other questions that we mentioned uh, earlier that you have there in your notes. Ask what is the word saying? What does it mean? How do I obey it? Um, you see there the, uh, you know, uh, the, those questions again uh, in bold. What is this text telling me about God? And then down at the bottom of that column, what is this text telling me about the characters involved, about man? Um, and then in between, so this is what some have called the sword method. So, you know, the, the tip of the sword, the cutting part is what God's word is telling us about him. The handle uh, of the sword is that the question, you know, what is the text uh, telling me about the characters involved, about who we are? Um, and then in the middle, you have um, these other four questions that help you to kind of wield that sword, okay, to use it uh, faithfully. So are there sins in this passage I need to avoid? Are there promises in this text that I need to know about God, that I need to understand, that I need to, to kind of rest in? Are there examples to follow or is there encouragement to gain, either from, the, from what God says in this text or from the characters that are involved, those sorts of things? Fourth and finally, are there commands in, in this passage that I need to obey? So learn to ask those questions um, in, in, uh, in your time together. And then the last 15 to 20 minutes, the, the, the last third, you're going to look ahead. So you're going to practice telling, may, maybe just kind of recap the story that you just read to make sure that everybody understand that, that you and your, the person you're discipling both understand what's going on in the text so that they could confidently, competently, you know, potentially teach it to someone else one day. Um, and then you want to set goals for obedience, set goals for sharing the gospel throughout the week. Uh, your goals should be smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-based. Ask questions like, who are you going to share the gospel with? Who are you going to seek to engage in a, a conversation about Christ in this week? What are you going to do this week in obedience to God's word? Right? We talked about other commands to obey. Yes, there are here. So how am I going to obey those things? How are you going to use this um, uh, lesson with other people you're discipling? So you see there, there's the, there's the assumption that the people you're discipling are already thinking about discipling others. There's the assumption that we're, we're replicating, that we're multiplying disciples. Um, and then spend time in, in prayer together for boldness in the Holy Spirit and faith to obey, for faithfulness to complete uh, the, the goals that you've spoken about, biblical goals that you need to, that you're asking God to work out in your life. Uh, praying for your city, praying for lost family and friends, praying for specific needs that you might have, okay? So this is kind of just a roadmap for discipling times together. 
Those of you who teach um, Sunday school here at the church or other small groups, this is a helpful way to structure your small group time together as well to make sure you're efficient and that, um, that you're not spending 45 minutes on prayer requests and only 15 minutes on Bible study, okay? Um, that, that seems to be like the biggest pitfall in, uh, in, in Sunday schools and in small groups, all right? So, uh, and maybe you even like in your Sunday school class, your small group, you need to like blow this thing up and paste it on the wall so everyone knows how much time you're going to spend and they know what's, what's going to be prioritized that day. That's not a bad way to even disciple people uh, in that regard. Okay. Does anybody have any questions? And I'm sure there are several, but about discipling people in God's word, why it's important, how to do it, um, resources that we, that we may have talked about there. Yeah, Nikki? I, think, I haven't looked at Yeah. And, and look, I'm, I'm all about plagiarizing and discipling, okay? If somebody else has done the work um, to provide a help or a resource and it's really good, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel, okay? So I borrowed, uh, we borrowed a lot of the, um, the, the stuff in those first five sample sessions or whatever from things that the, the BSU at UNM is doing in their discipling relationships. And they've borrowed stuff from navigators and, and from others. And so I think the websites that we've used and things are, are also there. So you can go to those also. Jared? Yeah, so if it's a brand new believer who's never read the Bible before, um, I, would, I would start here with understanding what the gospel is to make sure we're laying a really good foundation uh, for, for where, our, where our salvation lies, right? Who God is, who we are, what Christ has done, how we respond to him. Um, because that foundation, that's the foundation for their salvation. If they're really a believer, right? Those are things that they need to know and need to grow in most of all. And then once you've kind of uh, created that foundation, I would then, if it's a brand new believer, I would start them, uh, I would just start reading through like the gospel of Mark with them. The gospel of Mark is short, um, relatively short. It's pretty direct. It's, it's fairly simple. It moves quickly. And, um, and we're almost out of time. Uh, and it's a really helpful place to start with a brand new believer. That's what I would do. And then from there, yeah, Mark, the gospel of Mark is going to remind you of the foundation of the gospel. So you're getting that again. And you'll be able to use the gospel of Mark to point to other places in scripture and then, and then, and then grow outward from that, right? But then the other thing that we want to do, if it's a brand new believer and they're not connected to the church yet, uh, we want to help them to get connected to the church um, because that, that's what I mean, God has saved us to be a part of a, a community, a family of believers um, where we learn from one another and, and teach each other and grow together. So, um, so those are a couple of things I would suggest. Other questions? Yes, Karen. And that's, I think that's a, that's a, like a major hurdle. I, I think for a lot of people in beginning a discipling relationship is feeling like, um, it's feeling like I, I'm not prepared yet. I don't know everything that I need to know. I'm not an expert. Um, well, yeah, we, number one, yeah, you never will be. But number two, uh, neither were the disciples as soon as right when Jesus was ascended. You know, I mean, he spent 40 days with them uh, in his resurrected state, teaching them, uh, you know, from the scriptures, things about himself. They had 40 days of seminary, if you will. OK, um, and, and that and that was it. Um, most of us have had a whole lot more. We've most of us have, in this room have had decades of walking with Christ, of reading the scriptures, of learning to understand them. Um, and I think it's a it's a 
tactic, it's a ploy of Satan to, to make us think that, that we're not capable of doing this thing. Uh, the truth is, we're not. But in the power of Christ, the Holy Spirit in us, because of what the gospel is, we, we all are. So God is capable in us and through us by his word to do what we can't do on our own. Um, so, um, uh, so maybe just in preparation, what you could do. I see Meredith one second uh, in, in preparation is just read through those five initial sessions just to kind of get a, a, you know, a feel for it yourself. And um, and and then just kind of dive, dive right in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a yeah, that that's a yeah, that's that's such a good thing to know and realize that that um uh, say knowing so when you don't know the answer to a question that someone asks you in a discipling relationship, um it's good, it's right to say I don't know as opposed to try to make something up. Because if if you learn to say I don't know when you really don't know and to go and find the answer, then then it makes the it makes the times when you do know the answer all that much more meaningful, right? Um, and, and so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. And, um, and taking the, um, taking the attitude of, uh, of being teachable yourself and, and modeling that for the person like, you know, I don't know the answer. So let's, let's work on this together. Um, one of the things I love the most about, uh, times we spend, uh, in Bible study on Wednesday nights is that we ask, we get questions asked that, that we don't know the answers to. Um, and, uh, and so we spend time, you know, looking through the word and digging through it, and it's just a ton of fun. So, um, it's fun for me and, uh, and it's, and I, I don't know if it's fun for others, but it's fun for me. So, um, let's, let's move along very, very quickly. Um, this last, this last bit. So first of all, we're discipling in the word that is of utmost importance. But then, and, uh, Meredith, you started talking about this, uh, discipling in life spent together. Okay. So we're not just sitting around talking about the word. That's very helpful. That's absolutely crucial, but we're also modeling, right? What it is. We're setting an example for others to follow, to look at in following Christ. So, um, so we saw as, we, um, uh, uh, not really in the last session, but, but sort of in the last chunk, uh, that we discussed reading God's word, uh, reading for understanding, reading for transformation, reading to teach others. Um, you may have heard the statement that in life more is caught than taught. Okay, that's certainly true in parenting. Uh, we can you can teach your children. You can the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And it takes them actually making a mistake and learning the the, the consequences of the of the mistake to actually you know internalize what you've been trying to teach them uh, all along. Um, we know from Matthew four nineteen that discipling is personal. Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. What is Jesus doing here? Well, he's, he's inviting the disciples to spend time with him. And we see all throughout uh, the course of the Gospels that Jesus is spending time with people in lots of different ways, specifically in their homes. In Matthew nine ten, Mark two fifteen, there we see him with tax collectors and sinners eating meals, hanging out. Jesus isn't teaching 24-7. He spends a good bit of time with people just eating and talking and being in life with them, developing relationships. Luke 19.5, Jesus takes his disciples to the homes of others. So he takes his disciples to Zacchaeus' house um, so that they might see the, 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 the um, redemptive work of God in Zacchaeus' life. 
Uh, in Luke 10 and in John 11, we see Jesus spending uh, more time in the homes of his, uh, of his friends, particularly Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He spent a lot, Lazarus spent a lot of time with that family. Matthew 26, Jesus spends time in homes of friends of friends. And so he's hanging out with, with friends of his disciples and friends of their friends. And he's just making connections all over the place. In Luke 11, Jesus is eating in the homes of those who question him. He eats there with Pharisees who, who have questions about who he is. So Jesus spends intentional time with people where he's not teaching. He's just, he's answering questions. He's hanging out. He's developing relationships. We see that discipling continues to be personal and that Jesus spends time teaching his disciples in extended portions. Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 13, this extended parable uh, teaching portion. Luke uh, 11, 1, also Matthew 6 in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer. John seven fourteen, we see Jesus teaching publicly uh, with crowds that are following him. Uh, continuing on, we see that not only did Jesus uh, meet in homes with people and teach others, but early Christians are doing the same thing. Uh, we talked about Priscilla and Aquila with Apollo. So they bring him into their home so that they can spend time with him, teaching him uh, the scriptures and the gospel so that his preaching ministry will be godly and biblical and gospel centered and all about Christ. Uh, Colossians uh, 3.16, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You can read those on your own time and just see there uh, the importance of Christians meeting together for teaching, for growing in Christ. We've said in life, more is caught than taught. And in discipling, very often in discipling, more is caught than taught. We can teach a lot about God's word. We can talk a lot about what we ought to do in life and, and sort of actions and behaviors that our disciples, the people we're spending time with, should exhibit. Uh, but very often it will be in those times where they have failed or they've run into a hurdle or hit a roadblock in their life where they're most primed to listen and to learn and to grow. And so we often don't have those opportunities to, to speak into those moments of their life if we're not spending time in life together. So... Um, discipling involves teaching. It also involves modeling. Just as Paul said, imitate me, um, be an example. He says to Timothy, uh, for those, uh, in all these different characteristics and modeling happens when people see us doing not just hear us talking. Okay. So, um, so discipling happens in life together. So here are some quick ways to, uh, model discipleship, to model what it is to be a follower of Jesus with someone you're trying to invest in, um, have people to your home for meals. It's amazing the kinds of things that you can learn about people and the kinds of conversations you can have if you'll just have a meal with someone. Uh, that just um, hospitality in that regard opens so many doors uh, for evangelism, but also for discipling. Um, meet in casual places for your discipling. So go to a, a coffee shop at Starbucks. Meet at Village Inn on Wednesdays for free pie day. You buy a $1.50 cup of coffee, you get a free slice of pie, and you can talk about God's word together, okay? Um, meet in casual places, just normal, everyday places places. Um, bring younger believers with you when you go to run, run errands. It's a Saturday and you and your family are going to run out and you're going to go do some grocery shopping and hit Costco because I don't know what good red-blooded American family doesn't go to Costco on Saturday. Um, uh, but as you do that, just you're discipling a younger believer. You call them up Saturday morning. Hey, we're going to run some errands. You want to come with us? We need a hand carrying all of our, you know, toilet paper and paper towels out to the car from Costco. Come along with us, right? So invite people to live life with you so that you can, if you have a, a family or you're married and the person you're discipling doesn't have a family or isn't married or is newly married, you can model what normal married life, normal family life as you follow Christ together looks like. I didn't say abnormal. I said normal normal right but but look i 
Now, I don't know. I don't know a family that's perfect and gets along all the time. Okay. We shouldn't be discipling people to think that families need to be perfect and get along all the time. What we need to do is show people how in a godly way to work through difficulty, to show grace and forgiveness in the context of our families. Okay. And that happens when we just do life together. Yet let younger believers see you in your normal course of work. Maybe you have a job that, that allows you to bring someone to work with you and you're discipling someone and you just, I mean, you just say, Hey, come to work with me one day. They let me do this. And, uh, you know, and, and just to, to show people around whatever, I just, I'd be great for you to come. And I'd like for you to see where I work and what I do and that sort of thing. Just look for ways to, to let younger believers see you in, in normal life. Um, those are just a few suggestions. There are several more. Maybe you have some now. Um, I don't know if, if you do or not, but maybe some of you have experienced ways um, or, or know of ways that are helpful for um, discipling people in life together. What are some of those, some that have been helpful or successful for you? Yeah. And if you're and and like if you're an older, more mature believer and and you're but you're discipling a young married person with a young family or whatever you you may not be able to have them in your house all the time but maybe what you do is you, you plan times for your whole family you just all of your family to get together and go hang out at the park or the zoo or whatever um if you uh if you are a, a season ticket holder to uh certain uh, uh collegiate sports in this town as many are uh, uh and you have an extra ticket Leverage that extra ticket to bring people along with you. Um, he's not here tonight. I'm going to brag on, on him anyway. Um, Bob Stiver, uh, y'all know him. He's got an 18-year-old, 17-year-old neighbor, um, a kid next to him, who just kind of a, a kind of rocky kind of family life or whatever. And Bob's like just trying to pour the gospel into this kid's life. Um, Bob stole Butch and Sue's um, uh, tickets to a Lobo game when I, and took his, um, his neighbor buddy. I can't remember his name now, but anyway, yeah, Ethan. Took him to the game just just to spend time with him. And uh, I thought that was really cool. So I'm just going to brag about Bob for a minute because I thought that was awesome. You know, he could have taken his wife. He could have taken anybody else. But instead, um, he, he leveraged that extra ticket to, um, to, take, to take someone he's trying to invest the gospel into. And, uh, man, I thought that was just so awesome. So I went over there in my, my red pants and my turquoise blazer and, uh, and, and made sure to say hi to him. But, um, but that was just so encouraging to me. A great example of, of exactly what we're, what we're talking about. Okay, I have three more things to give away. Um, we talked earlier about discipling people in the word and using developing the gospel uh, or using the gospel, excuse me, to develop a foundation for our discipling relationships. You have some resources already. I would like to give three people um, another resource. And so without cheating, without looking at your th- we talked about three things to do in reading the Bible in discipling relationships. Um, somebody, can somebody name for me the, if you have not, you, now you can't have received a book already tonight. Okay. So, um, so if you've already received something from me, you don't get to answer this. You can, but you won't get this. Someone else will. Um, the, what's the first thing we want to do when reading the Bible with somebody else? What are we reading for? Read to understand. That's right. Uh, I don't think you do. This book is called, what is the gospel? Uh, it's by Greg Gilbert. Um, and, uh, and it has, I don't know, six, eight chapters, but he covers in, uh, in very, in a very succinct way, those aspects of the gospel, God, man, Christ response in just a really helpful way. And so this is just sort of an added supplement to, um, uh, to that foundation that we're seeking to, to do already. So first read for understanding. Second, what was the second one? Read for transformation. All right. So Butch and Sue, you guys can share that. And, uh, so read for understanding, read for transformation. What was the last one?
There, there was a third one. Okay, you can, you can cheat. You can, you can look back. Read to teach others. Did I give you something already? Okay. Hand that, slide that back to Marilyn. Okay, look. I know everybody, I know everybody wants that book. And, uh, and, and I think, uh, in June, we're going to take another break from our sermon series in Acts, uh, to talk about, uh, evangelism and specifically the, the gospel, those things, God, man, Christ response on a Sunday morning. And so I am intending to get, um, a copy of that book for every family in our church, not for every person, uh, but for every family. Okay. And so you guys will have that resource as well. Um, I, I love giving away books and giving away information and resources, especially ones that are short and helpful. Um, all right. I've, I've, I think I've talked, I've gone through all the slides I intended to go through tonight. Um, and, and we are over time, uh, but only by seven minutes, praise God. Um, I'm, I'm happy to hang around a little bit later and answer any questions that you might have, but I also want to respect your time this afternoon and that you've given and, uh, the time that you've given. I know some of us have to get home to families and stuff. And so, um, I'll, I'll pray to dismiss us, but if you have other questions, please hang around and, uh, and we can talk about those things for, um, almost as long as you need. Okay. Let, let's, let's pray. And, um, and again, thank you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. God, what, what a blessing it is to spend time with other believers talking about and um, preparing ourselves uh, to do the things that you have called us to do, to be faithful to the uh, Great Commission. Uh, God, to, uh, to take part in the uh, work of proclaiming the gospel and helping to make disciples that you have called and, and commanded us to do. I do pray, God, that, that tonight has been uh, helpful for those who are here. And I know that it's been super intense and really quick moving. Um, but, God, I, I, I pray that even through it, uh, you have uh, uh, shown to us through your word and, and even as briefly and as quickly as it was, uh, helpful principles for, um, for structuring our discipling relationships. God, we want to be obedient to Christ. We want to make disciples. We want to teach them everything that Christ has commanded us so that they can then turn and teach others uh, as well. And so, um, God, we just ask humbly tonight that um, knowing that you've called us to do this thing, uh, that you would empower and enable us to do it. We know that you have given us your Holy Spirit, the seal of our salvation, the one who teaches us all things, who guides us in righteousness, who convicts us of sin. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, we ask you to empower and enable in, in ways that, that we can't on our own, our discipling efforts. God, so that, uh, so that you alone will get the glory, uh, so that Christ will be exalted in the lives of others, uh, and so that we will be faithful in fulfilling the Great Commission as you have called and commanded us. God, this is, we, we recognize this is just the beginning of developing a culture of disciple-making in our church. And so we want to give to you, even now, the months, the, the, the years, the decades ahead in the ministry of our, uh, of our church, the life of our church, asking God that you would make us faithful disciples who make faithful disciples for your glory and for the growth of your kingdom and for the spread of the gospel all around the world. Uh, God, for any of us who are having hesitations or, um, or even doubts about ourselves, we know uh, that those are not from you. 
uh, we know, God, that, that you have uh, not given us a spirit of confusion, but one of order and of, and of clarity and, um, uh, and even one of power and of strength that, that does not come from ourselves. And so, um, so God, in as much as, uh, as we are able, uh, help us to, to set aside any feelings of, um, uh, of uh, inadequacy for discipling, because we know that by your word and your spirit in us, you've given to us everything that we need uh, to do this effectively. And so, God, we pray that you, you would do that, that, that you would, uh, in our weakness, show yourself to be strong, uh, that, that you would uh, prove yourself to be great and far greater uh, than, than anything that, that, uh, that, that we could do in, in our own efforts or in our own skill. Help us, God, daily to go to your word for guidance, for direction, for growth in our own walk with Christ. Uh, and, and, Lord, teach us by it daily that we might then uh, teach others for your glory and, and for the growth of your kingdom. All of this we do pray uh, and thank you for in the name of Jesus, our Savior and King. Amen.